We've heard some really good news this morning uh, by what's been going on in the brigades. Okay, there's loads of great stuff going on. There's visits to see firemen and uh, there's the, the hearing the news about Uganda and obviously we've heard about uh, the trip that, that Dave and Nathan's done to Zambia and uh, Zimbabwe and we've heard about some of the talks. that. There's loads of good news going on and I love that. That's, that's for me, it's great because there's not a lot of good news sometimes out in the world, is there? Um, so, we've, you know, certain things that, that aren't too good. We've got Syria... Uh, going on, which is just a real challenge for all of us, really. The economy, it's not looking great for the pound and all this kind of stuff. The American elections, where do you start? Um, you've got people dressed up like clowns going around scaring people. It's, it's not nice. And uh, you've now got exploding phones. You know, you can't even take a, a certain phone on an aeroplane. You need to turn it off. There's, there's not good news out there. There's some nasty stuff. So it's been really good uh, to, to hear what's been going on this morning. If I, if I need to look at some good news or some things just to cheer me up, Facebook cat videos, uh, always good. Cat and cucumber videos, the best, uh, because I don't know why cats don't like cucumbers. Um, but there we go. But there's, there's certain things in life that are, are good news and, and there's certain things that are bad news. Can you put the first slide up for me, please, Chloe? Good news, said James May every Sunday uh, on Top Gear uh, when it was on. And uh, he, would, he would sit down with the other two guys uh, um, and, and they'd have a news thing about cars. And there'd be one spot where James was really excited about the Dacia Sandero that was just about to be released. And uh, the other two were just like, James, it's a rubbish car. Sorry if anyone's got the Dacia Sandero here, by the way. But he would say, it's not a good car, it's cheap and cheap. We said, no, but it's good news, it's going to be released, it's a great car. And uh, I always used to laugh and, and uh, enjoy kind of like their, their kind of laughter and banter. Um, but it's got me thinking a little bit about the Gospels, because the Gospels literally mean good news. Okay, so James May's talking about the Dacia Sandero being released, and actually as Christians we've got this amazing good news in the Gospels. Um, so we put the next slide on please. What is the good news? Well the good news for me is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. The cross is good news. And I'll look at that in a second. But when you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, there is nothing but a man changing people's lives. Okay? He is changing people's lives through miracles. He's challenging the culture at the time on how they treated women and children. Okay, he's challenging the, the religious authorities who should have been looking out for these people, but weren't. They were looking down upon them. And he blows their mind by saying that he is the Christ, the saviour of the world. Okay, he is God's son. Now, as Toby mentioned in company section, we've been looking at Jesus saying, I am. And Toby, thank you for referring back to that passage bit in Exodus, because when God sees Moses in the burning bush and he says, I am who I am, this is Jesus reflecting back, saying, I am the Son of God. I am 
the good shepherd. Now, they would have known, the Jewish people, what he was saying here. He was referring back and pretty much saying, I am God. I am God's son. And this is, I'm not going to do it because it's very expensive, but I would have done the drop the mic moment and just walk off stage. That's, they're the kind of things that Jesus is doing here. You see that kind of drop the mic, walk off, done my thing. And these are the drop the mic uh, kind of instances that Jesus done. And uh, he actually at one point uh, had to kind of get away from the Pharisees because they were about to stone him. The religious leaders were about to stone Jesus because he was saying that he was the son of God. Now the cross is really hard. Here we have this wooden cross, I always refer to it, because for me this is the central part of my faith. Okay, The cross is good news. It's horrible news. But it's good news. But it's horrible news. Physically, it was not good news for Jesus. Okay, It was horrendous. The pain involved in the crucifixion, not going to go into it, would be horrendous. The Romans were really good at crucifying people. Nobody came down off of the cross unless they were dead. Okay? It's as simple as that. It was a fantastic way of of torturing people. And they were good at that. The Bible tells us, though, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, and I read this recently, and it just blew my mind, and I've shared it before, and I'm going to share it again. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for... Uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him of being nailed to the cross. This was not a joyous occasion. This was painful. This was going to hurt. He was going to be crushed. He was going to have blood pour out of him, and he was going to die. Yet it says the joy set before him. I'm not sure I would go to my death in that kind of way with joy. And I don't think Jesus went there going, oh yeah, this is going to be great, come on. It wasn't like that. We read that in the Gospels. Okay, The joy set before him. The thing is, though, that Jesus knew that this was the only way to the Father. And because he knew this was the only way to the Father for us, he endured it. He went through it. And that's key for us to understand. Jesus knew what was going to happen later. He knew the Father would bring him back to life. They knew the plan they had to rescue mankind. So even though you're going to your death, if you know that actually that act of sacrificing yourself was actually going to make sure that each one of us in this very room and everybody on this entire globe could have access to the Father once again, you do it. I had a little think about this a little bit more this morning, and I'm still not sure I could, <laughs> just because I've got that, that well, probably a bit of a coward actually, to be honest with you, I think probably most of us would be. Even if we knew that it would save someone, we'd be like, no, I don't really want to do this. We're humans, we, we, we have that, but there was something special about Jesus. When I was growing up as a young boy, and that did happen a long time ago, I know, uh, a bit longer for Bernard, um, a lot longer actually, <laughs> sorry Bernard, um, just to get you involved. Um, I, I, my, my, my parents taught me that Jesus loved me, okay? And I'm sure as your parents have told you, Jesus loves you. And I'm sure as the older people here, your parents have told you that Jesus loves you, okay? And he does. And that for me 
was my primary reason uh, for becoming a Christian. My parents actually were first-generation Christians, so they didn't have parents who told them uh, that Jesus loved them. They had to find it out for themselves. And they went to uh, a Louis Palau concert. He was an evangelist that would tour around the world. And he was at Queen's Park Rangers football ground. And my parents went along and both of them became Christians just after they got married. And uh, it was kind of like... So they were first, what we called first-generation Christians. First time anyone in our family has committed to follow Jesus. And um, I became a Christian when I was seven. So quite young. Some of you here are quite young, seven years old. Uh, I know I know a couple of my boys became Christians at seven as well, so it's a kind of a theme running through our family, which is quite nice. Uh, kind of like, it's a, it's a good number as well. Um, but there were two things that I became a Christian by at the age of seven. One, I was told that Jesus loves me, okay? I was told that Jesus loves me. And the second one was, I was scared stiff about going to hell. Okay? I'm being honest, I'm only up and saying this is it. These are the two things, the factors, the driving force in my life as a young person that, that I knew Jesus loved me, but I didn't want to go to hell. Okay? I didn't want to go there. That's why I've put the sign heaven and hell up there. Um, I grew up in the 1970s, a long time ago. There's quite a few of you did, some in the 60s, some in the 50s, some in the 20s. Uh, sorry, no. <laughs> sorry, Bernard, I'm very, very rude to you this morning. But we've all grown up in a different kind of generation, different. But in the seventies, it was quite often you would hear hell preached, you know, and and you would hear what hell would be like and how scary it was and and this kind of stuff. And I suppose you know I would hear it in Sunday school quite a lot because it was something that you know become you know you don't want to go there. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. So you had that little bit of fear in your life that actually if I didn't follow Jesus, then I'd go to hell. And, and I suppose in the 70s, that was kind of something that really was kind of big. Now, we could question and say, well, we need a little bit more of that these days. I'm not going to go into um, what I feel about that. Um, what I just want to say is I was really glad that they all, my parents also taught me about the love of Jesus. All right? It's really important that we emphasize that. Um, I, I, I believe that, uh, that to believe and follow him was not the get-out clause not to go to hell. All right, It's not a get-out clause to, to, to not to go to hell. But it is the greatest news, we had good news, it's the greatest news that I could be with him forever in heaven. And I kind of started to work that out as I kind of grew in my faith. And I was like, actually, it's not about being scared of going to hell. It's about, wow, God has pre- prepared a place for me. God has prepared a place for me. Jesus says it in the Gospels, the good news. I go ahead of you to prepare a place for you. All right? um, I, for me, though, as, as I kind of grew up, it, it set a challenge uh, to me as I read the Bible and, and different kind of concepts and understanding of, of what hell is. Okay, now I'm not going to go into them this morning. You can ask me those questions another time. I don't think it's the right place to do that, even though I think we probably need to have more uh, robust, healthy discussion about it instead of kind of like, well, so-and-so says it's like that, so it's going to be like that, and so-and-so says hell's going to be like that, so it's going to be like that, and I want the nice, easy option where it's not going to hurt. And I'm just like, okay, uh, let, for me, it's always this go to scripture and look at it, okay? Um, we do need to have, I believe, a healthy understanding of the other place um, that isn't heaven, 
Okay? We're doing that to a healthy. Now, it's difficult for me to kind of talk about this stuff because obviously we've got children in here this morning and this is now going to be a great topic of conversation this afternoon for you as parents. There you go. <laughs> Send me messages this afternoon or no hate mail, please. Um, that would be good. But actually, one thing that's really key just to say is Jesus recognised this place. Jesus spoke about this place. All right. He refers to it in a lot in Luke 16. It's a really good example, I think, of in Luke 16 uh, of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I'll leave you guys to have a little bit of homework with your kids later on. Uh, have a little read of that. Really helpful. I see it's a challenge. It's not an easy topic of conversation. But it's something we need to be mindful of. And I believe I don't think it's been taught enough and I don't think it's been taught well. That's why when I'm talking with young people, I'd rather talk about it and say, oh, no, we're not going to talk about it because it's not, not the right thing to talk about, okay? I will engage because I think it's important to share uh, everything that's there. Now, I remember talking to two of my best friends growing up about Jesus because I was passionate about telling them about Jesus. I also had this little thing in the back of my mind, I don't want you to go to that place. I want you to be with me and Jesus forever in heaven. So I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And I've got uh, two friends growing up and uh, one of them, uh, when uh, he was, uh, we were teenagers, and I said to him, look, Chris, at the end of the day, um, what happens tomorrow if you get run over by a bus? Where are you going to go, heaven or hell? Simple as that. And he was like, why would you even say that? <laughs> why would you even, you know, say that to me? And, and it kind of broke down our relationship a little bit. You know, our relationship got a bit fractured. And uh, we didn't kind of, you know, see each other as often. He was quite offended by what I said. Uh, a little bit later on in time, uh, his marriage broke up. And he, he, he phoned me and I went and prayed with him and chatted to him. And it kind of restored our friendship a little bit. But it was a good six or seven years later. And um, he went on a big holiday. He still wasn't a Christian. And he met God in a fantastic, amazing way when he was on holiday. And... Uh, I'm really pleased to say he is, he's a, a full-on Christian, married a lovely Christian lady, and uh, he's now actually a volunteer youth worker in their local church. And I'm like, yes, good news. I've got another mate who, when I was at college with him, we would uh, walk through a park in Dollis Hill, and it was renowned for a few people losing their lives in that park which is really quite sad. And there we were, sat on the bench, and I said to him, Fraser, look, at the end of the day, mate, um, you know, where are you going to go if you get run over by a bus tomorrow? Heaven or hell? He's like, oh, I never thought about that. That's a bit scary. Can I become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? I was like, what? And there and then on a park bench in Dollis Hill, a notorious park, he gave his life to Jesus. Now, it was a little bit, he gave his life to Jesus out as he was a little bit scared. But at the same time, I've been talking to him about the relationship I have with Jesus and how awesome it is and how the fact that I'm going to go to heaven. So it wasn't just like, <laughs> scared. It's great to know that he's still going well with God. I'm really pleased with that because they're the kind of things that, for me, is good news. All right? For me, Jesus broke into these two people's lives through me and it changed their destination. Changed their destination. Um... And I think Jesus uses us in different ways to reach different people. It's a challenge, but we need to be sharers of the good news. I was recently challenged by a quote by Charles Spurgeon, 
If we can put the next one up, please, Chloe. It's quite a strong one. If sinners be damned, meaning they'll go to hell forever, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. That's us as Christians. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Drop the mic. Charles Spurgeon dropped the mic moment. As a young Christian, I believe that my parents and my Sunday school teachers did the best they could in reply to this quote. It wasn't to scare people, it was actually to say, you've got a job to do as a Christian. And I'm challenged as a Christian to win people for Jesus. I see that as my priority alongside serving God and loving him. But it's not easy. And I believe to preach just hell is wrong. Okay? I believe it's wrong to just do that. Jesus didn't major on hell. He warned us about it. He majored on life. And Sue prayed. He he came here to give us life in all of its fullness. And Jesus came here to talk about the life. He didn't come here to tell us about hell. He came here to say, I prepare a place for you. Follow me. Follow me. This is great. And I want to leave you with this. It's actually in 2 Corinthians, it tells us, therefore, knowing uh, what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade men. We're about persuasion. We're not about scaring them <laughs> into hell. It's, uh, sorry, it's heaven. We're not about scaring them. We're about persuading, saying, look, you know, this is God, this Jesus. This, what, do you want to live forever with him? I want to leave you with this. It's called heaven. <laughs> heaven is the place you want to be. It's as simple as that. It's the place I've chosen to spend eternity. There's only one person that can make uh, a decision like this, and it's you, and it's me. We're the ones who have to make a decision. Where do we want to be? It's not your mum, it's not your dad, it's not your wife, not your husband, it's not your brother, your sister, or your friend, it's you. You have to make that decision. For me as a seven-year-old boy, I weighed up the consequences of my sin and the punishment that I deserved. Then I looked at what Jesus said about following him and the consequences were in him, accepting him as a son of God. And I accepted that and I went, yes. For me, there was no comparison. And if you read, if you want to read about where that place is and what it's going to be about, Revelation 21, I'm not going to read it now, but it's awesome. It talks about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven. So for me, I believe I'm destined when I die to walk the golden streets of heaven. Stop and think about that for a moment. To walk the golden streets of heaven. To sit at a banquet table with the king of kings and feast. I like to feast. (laughs) We all like to have a nice meal with our friends. And Jesus says, come, come, we're going to have a banquet It's going to be awesome to swim in the river of life that flows from the throne room of God. Get the PowerPoint for this one. To eat from the trees of heaven 
the spiritual fruit. To have a new body. Hands up who would really like a new body. Keep your hands up, people. (laughs) We are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we make a mess of it sometimes. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new body. Also a new name. Revelation, early revelation, it talks about there's a white stone that has a new name written on that Jesus has a special name for each one of us. I've spoken about that before. To never see death or decay or curse ever again. To never cry tears of sadness ever again. That's where I'm heading. What about you? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your son. I want to thank you that it's through him, through his sacrifice, that we can have full access to you in heaven. That he prepares a place for us, for those that follow him. Father God, I pray that everybody here this morning has that relationship with you. The Father, we can have that eternity with you in heaven. Stir our hearts, Lord, for those that believe in you to realise that we have a job to do. That we are to tell people of the love that you have for us so much that you sent your son to die for us. So that when we die, we can have everlasting life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.